Financial Spectrum. We're sponsored in part by Wedbush Securities, 46 South Main Street, right here in downtown Concord. I'm Bill Kearney, certified financial planner and your host for the next 52 minutes. And my goal is to help make you a sharper consumer, a wiser investor, and a much better manager of your money. I do welcome you to the program, and uh, thanks for joining us here. We're live on the day after Thanksgiving. It's um, Hopefully you had an absolutely wonderful holiday with family and food and football. Um, and uh, hopefully last night's results were to your liking on uh, the primetime game, the biggie. Uh, but uh, in, in any case... Uh, here to talk about issues that you need to think through this holiday season. Uh, and in, in the first segment that we're going to do in just a few minutes, I'm going to introduce a new guest to the program. Vera Gibbons is a, a financial journalist. She's uh, written for Smart Money Magazine, Kiplinger Personal Finance. Uh, for uh, She's been on CNBC, MSNBC, The Today Show, and whatnot. She's an expert particularly in consumer issues. And right now she's representing Holiday, and Holiday Inn has been sponsoring her because She's going to bring to us a special deal from Holiday Inn that they're promoting right now about how to get a free night from Holiday Inn, but also to talk about how to save money this holiday season, not just spend money, but find better bargains. And what I want to caution you on, don't take advice from Vera Gibbons and others about how to save money, how to be a sharper consumer without necessarily saying to yourself, okay, whatever I save, that doesn't mean I'm going to spend that much more. I'm going to take the money and I'm going to try to find ways to invest and save money uh, for the future that I haven't been able to over the course of the year. The second half of the program, that, excuse me, the second guest we're going to have in the program today is Michael Noor. And he's going to talk to us about the 50 biggest charities. We'll talk a little bit about charitable giving in general. And uh, that's the other side of it. Whatever you don't spend this holiday season, whatever you're able to save because of bargains or because of being able to uh, to, to find the best deals out there and leverage the technology to find the best ways to acquire the things you want to give away as gifts or acquire for yourself without spending more money. In fact, it's spending less. Whatever you save, be conscious of how many charities could absolutely need your help in this holiday season. It's been an extraordinary year. Every year there's some natural disaster where or people in need that we're, we're very aware of. Well, certainly this holiday season, the people down in the mid-Atlantic area that are suff- still suffering the after effects of Sandy, um, it's a great time to be thinking about how to whatever you, whatever you saved in your holiday spending, whatever you uh, went under budget, think about contributing to uh, charities that are going to help out those people in the mid-Atlantic. Having said that, uh, I want to spend a few moments just talking about, before we, we're joined by Vera Givens, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the whole idea of planning now for this coming year's taxes. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a couple of guests coming on that we've had uh, many times before. Barbara Weltman's a great one example. Barbara Weltman's with the J.K. Laffer Group. We're going to talk about some of the planning that you need to do to save taxes for the 2000, uh, excuse me, 2012 tax year this current tax year, but also to prepare for the next tax year. But a number of things to be conscious of, and one in particular, for those of you that have uh, that have tax losses still on securities or investments that you've held for more than a year, uh, what you, and what you want to do is you want to, or even, even short-term losses, it doesn't really matter, but what you want to do is you don't want to necessarily give up on that investment and this is a strategy we've talked about every year, but now is the time to take advantage of it. And there's, there's a very short window, and it's called doubling up. If you can afford to, if you, if you have the cash or other uh, financial resources, if you've got the leverage that you, where you can do this, suppose – let me give you an, a, an example. You've got an investment. You don't want to let go of it because you like the prospects. You like the, the – you're optimistic about keeping this investment 
and not necessarily surrendering the investment so that you miss the opportunity. And keep in mind also, traditionally, not always, but traditionally, December is a pretty good month for the stock market. So if you've got a stock that has you know, a tax loss, you want to take that tax loss to offset some gains. You'd like to, to you know, basically help out your current tax situation by taking the loss now. Uh, and you, you may, and I'll get to this in a moment, you may actually want to postpone it into 2013, but we'll talk about that in a moment. But typically, if you want to take that tax loss now, but you don't want to give up on the investment, one of the ways to do that to avoid the wash sale rule is to double up on the investment. Buy that much more. Suppose you've got 200 shares of XYZ Corporation, and it's gone from $20 to $12 since the time that you've owned it. You may have owned it for months or years, but it's gone from 20 down to 12 and you can buy 200 shares of $12 a share or $2,400. And you can, you can do that if you have the capital to do that or the leverage where you can get that done now, and you hold it for 31 days or longer then you can double up on the investment, buy 200 additional shares, but you have to wait until after 31 days have passed to sell that investment and capitalize on the loss, capture the loss. Otherwise, there's what they call a wash sale rule. The wash sale rule stipulates that if within 31 days, within a month, they call it 31 days, but be careful about that. But within 31 days, if you buy back a substantially similar investment, now that would be the exact same stock or something very, very, the similarity of this trickiness to that rule, but let's just call it, let's, let's keep it simple here and check with your tax advisor, by the way. Everything I'm telling you now, I am not a CPA or a tax preparer. I would check with your tax advisor to find out how this applies to your particular situation and your investments. But I'm giving you a theory here, a strategy to think through. If you still have 31, more than 31 days left of the year, and here it is, uh, November 23rd, there's still more than 31 days left to the year, you can still do this. You double up on the investment by buying an additional 200 shares of XYZ Corporation. You buy them for the $2,400. You wait until after 31 days. On the 32nd day, you can turn around and sell the original shares and avoid the wash sale rule. The wash sale rule, again, means if you buy back within 31 days prior to or after the sale of a security at uh, at a loss, but you buy a substantially similar investment within the 31 days in either direction, before or after, then the loss will be disallowed. The IRS will not let you capture that loss. It's it's a nasty little rule. And what it tries to do, is try, it's basically designed so that intraday, in the morning, you can't sell the investment in the afternoon, buy it right back again, and just basically reestablish your cost basis at a higher level. It basically says you're going to have to take some risk with this. You're going to have to take some risk by putting new money at, at risk, by buying additional shares, or the risk that the stock will go up over the next month, the next 31 days, while you've been out of it. So many people are saying, well, I've got some stocks that I believe that uh, for the month of December or into January, they're going to do very, very well. But I'm carrying tax loss, paper losses on the books. I really need to, 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 to capture that loss to save some taxes for this coming year. Uh, well, then what you do is you double up. Find the capital, find the resource to double up on that security. Buy those shares now. And after 31 days, sell the original shares. And thereby, legally, within the tax code, you can then capture the loss, but you still carry the stock. So what you've got is 31 days of a double exposure to that company, and hopefully you're right about how, how the stock moves, how, how, you know, how well it does. But then after the 31 days, you can then sell the original shares, capture the loss for tax purposes, and then move on. And you still own 
that security. It works for securities. It works for real estate. It works for anything. But securities are typically where you're talking about wash sale because of, of their liquidity, that you can move out of them so quickly and so easily. We have to take a short break here. When we come back, we're going to check in with financial journalist Vera Gibbons on five ways to save this holiday season. Back in just a moment with Financial Spectrum. Spectrum. I'm Bill Kearney, and uh, we're going to be chatting here with an expert on actual on, on consumer issues and how to save for the holiday season. Here we are, the day after Thanksgiving, and um, many of you are listening to the program after after exhausting yourself with the Black Friday activities of this morning. Uh, some of you are just now waking up and you're tuning us in to, to, to understand better what's going on in the economy. Well, it's a relatively dry day for market activity, even though the stock market is open until 1 today. Uh, we're still going to be uh, chatting kind of uh, of holiday issues uh, for both halves of the program. The second half of the program, Michael Knorr is going to be joining us talking about charities. But in the first half, I want to welcome uh, Vera Gibbons. Uh, Vera Gibbons is an expert in, um, she's a financial journalist in New York City. Uh, she's written for Smart Money, Kiplinger, Personal Finance Magazine, WalletPop.com. She's been on CNBC. Uh, and her latest work is How to Save Money. We're going to talk about how to save money this holiday season. So welcome, Vera Gibbons. Hi, Vera. Thank you, Bill, for having me. Well, I appreciate you joining us and uh, looking forward to this conversation because uh, it's, the the economy is not exactly making the consumer, even though all the cons- the evidence, the economic data is showing that consumers are more confident than they've been for a while. The, the confidence is growing. Still, it seems as though that confidence is relatively fragile. It's not going to take much to knock the consumer back to a position of being defensive about their money and pessimistic about other economic conditions. There's a lot going on. It's a very delicate balance we have right now. So for the the consumer that's trying to think, you know, okay, I, I don't necessarily want to, uh, to, let's say, cheat myself or my family when it comes to just enjoying the holiday, uh, but I also don't want to be irresponsible and overspend like maybe I have in some seasons past and put myself and my family's finances in jeopardy. What are some of the key things that people should think through as they enter into this holiday season? Well, you're right, Bill. I mean, you mentioned that confidence is up, but people are still very cautious, and I think that extends right into shopping. Yes, retail sales are expected to be up, <coughs> excuse me, up about a little over 4% this year with total sales coming in at $586 billion, amounting to about $750 for shoppers on average. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think people are becoming um, not as cautious. Well, they're not as cautious as they were last year. They still want to have fun. They still want to go to parties. They still want to buy people gifts, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But they're really taking more time to do the comparison shopping, to scan the web, look at coupon codes, retail me not some of the other ones. I mean, I think the consumer has become a little more sophisticated in this front, and that's because they've actually had to become the more sophisticated on this front. We've got, you know, 23 million Americans either unemployed or underemployed. People are still struggling. Mm-hmm. They don't want to break the bank, but they still want to have fun over the holidays. 
So when when you say people want to, a lot of the, over and over again, I heard the, the term people want to this or want to that. Uh, to from your perspective and the work that you've done, the research you have, are people really that financially flexible to do everything they'd like to do this holiday season? Well, they're not as financially flexible as we'd all like to see them be, but they're in this position where they can't be all that financially flexible. They've got a lot of credit card debt. Fifty percent of households carry a balance month to month. Fourteen million are still paying off last year's holiday bills. Yeah. So. You know, it's it's a, it's a very challenging time for people, but yet spending is expected to be up a little bit, which is, you know, maybe a bit surprising to some people, but basically it shows us that we're still out there, we still have a pulse, we're still shopping, <laughs> yeah. but, but we still want yeah. deals. Here's the thing, we still want deals, we're doing our price comparisons, we're, you know, taking retailers up on their offers for all the price matching guarantees. So mm-hmm. we want certain items, I think we've done maybe a better job separating our wants from our needs because of the economy, okay. we've been yeah. forced to actually do so. But we're also taking advantage of the apps that are out there that help us save or the websites that help us save. Look at all the couponing that's going on, sure. for example. Now, I know we're going to touch on technology, and uh, I'm an iPhone user, uh, as is every, just, I think everybody here at the studio. And uh, we know that we've got apps that can go into a retailer and scan something and scan the QR code or the barcode and learn more about it, find out what the competition offers. How are retailers reacting to this? Uh, you well, I don't know, you think feel- retailers necessarily like it, quite honestly, because their stores, the bricks and mortars, have become sort of a virtual showroom. People go in there, yeah. they scan barcodes. They're like, I'll just buy this online. So a lot of the bricks and mortars are you know, trying to compete with the online giants like Amazon. They're having a very tough time doing so. The consumer goes in there, like I said, they use it as a showroom, and then they hit the web, and they make the purchase online. Yeah, sometimes even before walking out of the store. Exactly. Yeah, There's nothing you can do now with the, you know, with all the technology that's out there. And you know, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel necessarily. I mean, it might have a twinge of conscience problem, but uh, it doesn't feel too rude because the retailer doesn't even know. But um, what are retailers doing to try to uh, accommodate and capture more of of the uh, spending dollars when they're watching people just walk through the the aisles and scanning products? Well, the big retailers, of course, are trying to compete with the online giant, uh, Amazon, which, of course, <coughs> a lot of people go to over the holidays. They've sort of mm-hmm. got that market. Online shopping is very big. So you've got stores like Walmart, which over the past year bought six online stores mm-hmm. uh, just to try to compete with the online giants. Um, you know, they're having a tough time all around. Small businesses in general are having a big, tough time all around. They're trying to compete with the Walmarts and the Targets and the this yeah, and that. Yeah. It's a really important time of year for retailers when they make you know, a third of their sales. So they want people to get in the doors and they want them ultimately to spend. So what you're seeing in some of the bricks and mortars is they're trying to, um, as they compete with the online retailers, they're trying to reconfigure their stores so there's more browsing, more browsing leads to more purchasing. They may have more greeters at the door, more greeters make the uh, consumers feel more comfortable, comfortable enough to make a purchase. So they're employing all sorts of tactics to try to keep the consumer in the store and keep the consumer spending. Yeah, and when it comes to so we've talked a lot about already about comparison shopping and price matching and things like that. You can use all sorts of electronic tools, mobile computing to do that. Um, to what extent do people still like to go in and because I don't have a handle on this, I'm not a shopper, but to what extent do people still like to go into the malls or the department stores and just browse and get ideas by looking at things? Well, it's more of a generation thing, I think. I mean, I think the young 20-somethings and the teens, they're doing everything online. They don't even know how to read a newspaper these days, quite honestly. So they're doing most of the stuff online. I think the older generation, yeah. older as <laughs> over 25, over 30, they still want to go touch and feel the merchandise. And yeah. 
for the most part, touching and feel the merchandise loves, does lead to a purchase, but the retailers just have to get you in there. Once you touch an item, once you see an item, once you feel it, once you try it on, you're more inclined mm-hmm. to actually buy it. Yeah. What categories are the brick-and-mortar stores able to retain? Is it uh, primarily clothing or are there other yes, categories? Yes, apparel, because that's something you actually have to try on, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, ideally, you want to try something on, make sure it's the right fit, it's the right color, it's the right bat. Yeah. But the, electronics, I mean, most of that activity is taking place online, yeah, as you very well know. Sure. Sure. Now, what, what what can people be looking for in terms of uh, holiday deals? Uh, you know, some some of the some of the specials, and what's the timing on that? How long should they wait into the holiday season before they start to actually make some purchases? Well, there are all sorts of deals going on. The problem with tracking the deals is that there are deals going on throughout the course of the year, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, and the weeks mm-hmm. after Christmas. Um, so it's a little bit more difficult for the consumer to track those deals. But they're definitely out there. I mean, there's some very good travel deals going on right now as well, like winter break, free night, free night to take, for mm-hmm. example, where if you stay two consecutive nights at any holiday in resort property in the U.S., Caribbean, Mexico, you get a third night for free for use at a later date. So mm-hmm. maybe some of your listeners have been to the Lake George property or some other one, and they want to stay there for two consecutive nights and take advantage of the third night for free. It's a good opportunity to actually do that. So these are the types of promotions that are out there, but again, it's just... You have to sort of uncover the rocks to find out where those deals are. How does somebody best do that? Is it a matter of just searching online? Are there other resources they can turn to? Well, for this particular one, HolidayInResorts.com slash free night. Okay. Um, okay. For the other stuff, you know, yeah. if you're out there actually making your – you're doing your shopping, then I would definitely take advantage of some of the apps like Fat Wallet, Google, Google Shopper, Price mm-hmm. Grabber that are out there. And I would go to sites like Retail Me Not for the coupon codes. It's a very popular site. And, you know – it's an easy way to say, what, 20%, 30% off your purchase, whatever the, the retailer is offering. But, again, you have to know where to go, where to look. So take a little bit of time. It's a little tedious. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, everyone wants to save money. So, From a financial planner's perspective, I would hope that when people are saving money, they're actually turning the, getting the, the money that's saved and putting it into savings, putting it into investment, and turning it toward another use rather than consumer use. But do most consumers say, well, I just saved you know, 30% on that item. That's more money I can spend on Christmas. How do people, most people <laughs> yeah, react that's to funny that? you say that because when we walk into the retailers, you know, if they have these heavily discounted items, right next to it will be like a really expensive item. So we're buying the inexpensive item and we're feeling so good about that purchase. Yeah. That we don't feel so bad buying the higher price item, which is strategically placed right next to it. It's part of the retailers' little tricks that they do over the holiday season. Is like offer some really good price buster type deals on select items, sure. and then stock the shelves with some other higher price items with the hopes that the consumer will feel really, really good about that discount. That they stick around <laughs> in the store, they browse more. They, you know, if they're browsing, they're spending more time in the store. If they're spending more time in the store, they're buying more. What are some of the changes that have happened in just the last 12 months, since the last holiday season, that are going to shape the way people behave out there in the stores? Well, last holiday season was really big for Black Friday. 225 million shoppers actually were out or, or shopping the web. Um, sales came in at $52.4 billion. So, mm-hmm. you know, the numbers are still there. People are still spending. As I say, people still have a pulse. They still want to have a happy holiday season. They still want to enjoy themselves. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. keeping your costs under control and having sort of a disciplined attitude. Do you think that uh, the whole uh, taking your sleeping bag and a, a jug of coffee and getting out on the sidewalk in front of the retailer at uh, like 4 a.m. the morning after Thanksgiving, do you think those days are, are disappearing on us now? Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a miss with Black Friday deal. I mean, there was um, uh, Decide.com looked at the data and actually found that there are some items 
that are actually pricier on Black Friday, including mm. women's Uggs. The average price were 59% higher wow. on Black Friday than they were in October. So all of a sudden you're paying, you know, $135 for these boots or 137 mm-hmm. on Cyber Monday, for example. Samsung, 46-inch TV. In October it was $1,200, and on Black Friday it was over $1,300. Jewelry tends to go up. Some select toys tend to go up. Mm-hmm. Watches tend to get pricier. So this is what the research from Decide.com found, um, which I think is interesting because Absolutely. the dynamics have definitely changed given all the stuff that's going on online. There are deals throughout the course of the year. There are deals in the weeks leading up to Black Friday. There are deals after mm-hmm. Black Friday. Um, it's a little crazy. So when people looked at the flyers in yesterday's paper, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Wednesday's paper that said, here's the Black Friday deals, should they have actually looked a week earlier and and decided, okay, let's, let's look the weekend before Thanksgiving and see what's available out there because uh, that's probably where we're going to maybe get some of the best prices of the season. Yes, I think so. But I think people have also... They know where to look. Like they've probably gone to BlackFriday2012.com, BFabs.net. Um, the people who really want the Kenmore washer at Sears, for example, for X price—I don't know, a couple hundred dollars, whatever they're offering yeah. this year—they they, they know they have their they have their designs on that. They're going to the doorbuster sale specifically, mm-hmm. you know, in line to actually get that product. Yeah. The problem is the doorbusters, as you very well know, are, are sold in limited quantities. So you have to get yes. there early. Yeah. You've got to sort of <laughs> muscle your way in. And it does take a certain je ne sais quoi to actually deal with the lines, deal with the crowds. But, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. Like, I think yeah. the doorbuster deals, and the data from Decide.com actually did find this, um, they still are very good on Black Friday. And it's also a very good day, if not the best day, to buy gaming systems like the Xbox. Mm. You know, $100 okay. off that on Black Friday. Yeah. Pretty hard to yeah. find that at other times of the year. Okay, but over the next few weeks, you know, there's still a number of weeks. It's early Thanksgiving this year, so it's going to be, what, five weeks before Christmas. Uh, over the next few weeks, how late can someone wait to find some of the deeper discounts before it's just too late? Well, that's the thing. I mean, retailers have actually done a very good job keeping inventory lean and mean. So the danger in waiting is that you may not get the size, the right color, the right disc, the right okay. that you actually yeah. had your heart set on. Um, the deals are always going to be there. But, again, if you have your heart set on a specific item, specific toy, you know, yeah, I wouldn't yeah, necessarily yeah. wait around. I Don't wait make too sure long. I'm getting the best price for that particular item. It's kind of like the, what we do with uh, airline tickets. We've learned that, uh, many have learned, that uh, Tuesday through Thursday tends to be some of the times when online the airline tickets can get the cheapest. The airlines have kind of awakened to that, haven't they? And uh, yeah, I think they're sh- sort of getting onto that, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we consumers like sites like faircompare.com and where you can see sort of who's got the best prices, what times, this and the other mm-hmm, thing. Another mm-hmm. site that I like um, is yapta.com, where if you book a flight and say you pay like $300 and the price drops to $200 a week after, of course you're going to be annoyed that the price has dropped. So, but if you go to the site yapta.com, it tracks it for you, alerts you when the price has dropped, and you actually get a refund. Mm. So I like that one. It, it's all fascinating. Vera, do you have a website or someplace where people can learn more about what you're doing? And I know, I know you're um, uh, speaking on behalf of Holiday Inn this season. You're sponsored by them. But uh, uh, is there is there a site people can go to learn a lot of the insights that you offer that uh, you bring uh, to consumers? I do have a website, yeah, veragibbons.com. I mean, you mentioned I'm, I'm doing this for Holiday Inn. I'm down in Pensacola now, the lovely Pensacola. Mm. <laughs> um, but for the travel deal I mentioned, you can go to holidayinresorts.com slash free night. Or you can go to my website if you want to see my whereabouts, what I'm doing next. Or I have a Twitter account, too. I'm all around. 
Okay, okay. And uh, listeners, have been chatting with uh, financial journalist Vera Gibbons and uh, talking just ways to save money this holiday season. And uh, hopefully uh, you're not listening to this and say, why did I get up at 3 a.m. after Thanksgiving to do this when there are all sorts of other methods I can use? Go to our website, uh, veragibbons.com, and it'll lead you to other resources as well and learn so much more about what you can do this holiday season to save money. And uh, one more time on the Holiday Inn website again. What's that again? Yeah, so that's Holiday Inn Resort dot com slash free night for more details about the the offer I mentioned okay. where if you yeah. stay two consecutive nights at any of their properties okay. um, in the U.S., Caribbean, or Mexico, you get that third night for free at, the, at, a, at a future date. Vera, date. thanks so much for spending so much time with us. We so appreciate it, and uh, have a great holiday season. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks. Take care. Listeners, we'll take a short break here and come right back to talk more about what you can do this holiday season, better perspective, especially when it comes to your charitable giving. We'll talk with an expert on that in just a moment on Financial Spectrum. Spectrum. I'm Bill Kearney for The Balance for Time. We're going to be talking about charitable giving and some of the major charities. Joining me now is executive editor of Forbes magazine, Michael Knorr. Hi, Mike. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, looking forward to this because this charity thing, uh, there's a there's a lot at stake going on with policy issues that are going forward. And I know that's not necessarily the, the focus of the article, but uh, the um, to what extent do you think... Um, just the, the charitable giving world in the United States is at risk of some tax law changes that could cut back on the deductibility of charities. You know, I mean, I, I think we're always um, at risk. Um, you know, the United States is the the biggest and most generous um, country in terms of how much money our citizens privately give to charity. That doesn't happen in a lot of other parts of the world. The yeah. government is seen as that they take care of that. They don't give, you know, Europe, Europeans, South Americans don't give to private charities the way that we do. And of course, that is partly due to our tax advantage nature of our giving. Um, there's always a threat there. I mean, I think though, at, at heart, I really actually think that um, there's a fundamental culture of giving in this country, and I think it would take more than some superficial changes to the tax code to fundamentally alter that. I've known some that have been involved with charities that have said, "Boy, I hope someday they do eliminate." Uh, that aspect of the tax code because then charitable giving will be done not for tax reasons but because people really out of their heart want that charity. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, sure, okay, I get that, but I mean, I think you want to encourage people to be even yeah. better than they might already be. I think the, re- the, the repercussions <laughs> of a substantial change, uh, and so from what I understand, the only real tangible proposal so far is cutting back on the deductibility of contributions by the uber-rich, not necessarily by everybody else. Isn't that somewhat true? That's my understanding as well. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, when they say uber-rich, I'm always questioning what exactly they mean by that. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, but that, that I'm I talking about, is, let's, is what... Let's set the bar at, 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 at uh, adjusted gross income of a million or more. And I okay. think for whatever well, that, reason... That, I, I think that's wealthy. Yeah. I, I, I think for most part, if you're looking at somebody who's got you know that kind of... Income. It's a rare case that that's earned income that's Correct. at a million dollars or more. You're looking at people that have a substantial amount of wealth, 
And, uh, oh, sure. yeah. but the, the catch there is for a lot of major philanthropies, they're counting on those massive donors, not just the, the $10 and the $5 and the $20 that people are giving on an ongoing basis, though that's very important. And we'll touch on that. Mm-hmm. But aren't the, the major, the, the huge charitable institutions still counting in a lot of ways on the very, very substantial donations by well, the very know, that, rich? That, that depends. So, so, I mean, look at the top two um, charities on our largest charity list. Yep. We do 100 uh, here. And you have two kind of very different cases here. Well, actually, uh, sort of two very interesting cases. You have the United Way, right? And, you know, the United Way gets uh, a substantial, um, I mean, you know, $3.9 billion in um, private donations last year. That's, that's enormous. But 57% of those come through automatic paywall withholding and 20% from corporate things. So they, they actually are getting a lot of that from people kind of giving a small amount every, every time out of, their, um, out of their checks. And the number two is the Salvation Army. Again, certainly they have the guys out there that are, you know, ringing the bells about this time of year and they get, you know, that. I mean, it's substantially smaller, but it's number two. It's $1.7 billion. But remember, the, the, um, the widow of the McDonald's billionaire, I'm, I'm spacing her name right now, she left the majority of... Ray, Ray Kroc's widow. Ray yeah. Kroc's widow to, to the Salvation Army. Um, yeah. And so the, certainly those huge gifts allow them to do a lot. But uh, the biggest charities on our list generally are things like Salvation Army, American Cancer Society, the YMCA. And these guys do, do get a lot of money from sort of average show. If you go further down the list, we have you know, more specialized um, sort of causes. I think that those are more um, dependent on one big donor, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so from that standpoint, that one big donor, um, is that mostly now, is it, is it shifting in terms of whether they're giving uh, out of current income and their current circumstances versus uh, giving it away through estate giving? I, you know, I don't really have any any visibility yeah. on that. You know, we we we, we, we even getting in these numbers. I mean, you yeah. know, these are nonprofits or tax advantage, and and because of that, they have to report or they should be reporting a lot of stuff to the public. Um, but this is a, actually a tremendously difficult list to put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really they put out these forms called nine nineties, which have some financial information. But we actually have a uh, a staffer who calls well more than 100 and has to like, get more updated numbers. And you'd be surprised how little they really have to tell you. You have yeah. some visibility when there's a major gift made in a state and they make an announcement, right? Um, but uh, you don't have, they don't have to do that. So we don't have really any visibility into that. I was surprised. Now, where does the Red Cross come into play on this? Uh, uh, the American Red Cross. So the Red Cross is, a, is, a, is an international organization, okay. of course, okay. and it's yep. uh, largely based out of Switzerland. Um, the American Red Cross is number five in the list with a just uh, just under a billion, uh, 946 uh, million in private support last year. Okay, okay. And uh, I would but just... It, but it's, but it's, if you look at their total revenue, because they mm-hmm. get money, obviously, from uh, the international version, it's yeah. $3.7 billion, so it's much larger. That's an unusual sort of dichotomy. Uh, but uh, coming back to the, to the top two or three, now, uh, number mm-hmm. three is America Cares. And I think we might be looking at uh, you might be looking at a different list. Oh, 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 oh! Um, maybe I am. <laughs> maybe that. Uh, uh, so maybe that's. Let, you, well, I'll, let me run through the most recent top five. Okay. So um, this it would be the United Way number one, number two. This is just by size, by the way. We can talk, and we should probably talk about some other um, ratios, particularly okay. fundraising efficiency, uh, charitable commitment, and donor dependency, which are in some ways. Um, 
more interesting if you're thinking about uh, uh, possibly giving some money to these organizations in terms of um, how how well they spend your money, how much money they spend raising okay. money. But how efficient back it is, to the yeah. top five, United Way, one, Salvation Army, two, the Catholic Charities, which is an umbrella group of charities, is mm-hmm. number three. Okay. Feeding yep. America is number four. American Red Cross is five. Food for the Poor is six. American Cancer Society is seven. World Vision is eight, and the Y is nine, and the last in the top ten is Goodwill. So these are, these, yeah. are, these, are, these are all organizations largely that everybody's heard of. I apologize for, in my prep, I've got some older lists of Forbes put together. Yeah, I know, we've and so been I'm looking this at, list for 14 years. You so have, so yeah, it's completely understandable. Look at that. the wrong <laughs> list because I want to talk about some of the trends. What do you think is, uh, you know, just from the standpoint of looking at the largest charitable institutions, getting away from the tax code a little bit, what, what are some of the trends that are making some of them either grow faster or others, let's say, shrink back a little bit in terms of their position? And not that it's a competition, that's not it at all, but uh, that they're not necessarily attracting as many dollars as, as others. I think that what you see in general, the ones that do seem to be growing are the more uh, the broader-based type charities. Okay. Um, you know, again, these, these are big umbrella groups. The, the United Way is a ton of different charities, right? Mm. The Salvation Army has tons of different things. Catholic Charities is a big umbrella group. So it seems like people are giving to organizations that attack a broader spectrum of, uh, of problems uh, more than they're giving to more narrow, you know, um, more narrow mm-hmm. type things, the Campus Crusade for Christ or something that's very specifically on one issue. I think that's generally, um, generally true. I also think that, you know, you don't, you don't need, like you said, it's not a competition. You, you can effectively uh, tackle certain problems without being massive. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. It, it, that's, that's important. Um, and, and again, just to go back to some of these ratios, because I think they're just so important. Um, if, if you look at uh, fundraising efficiency, um, this is how many dollars they spend uh, to uh, to raise money. So, so you know, they have events, right? They have parties, they have whatever, and these things cost money. And um, the ones that are poorly run actually spend a lot of money to raise money. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, 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 to me, is actually the first thing I always look at um, in terms of these things. Um, not, not doing particularly well on this uh, is the American Diabetes Association, uh, the World Wildlife Fund, um, the Smithsonian. Um, you know, they're, they're spending a lot of money uh, to raise money, and that, that's not a great thing. Um, and then you also got to look at charitable commitment. How much of the money do they raise to actually spend towards uh, their goals? And, and this, again, is all over the board. And if you go onto our site, you can sort the top, the largest uh, charities by these. Um, you know the the Brothers Brothers Foundation gives a hundred percent, which is it is one of our all star five charities this year, mm-hmm. which we can also talk about if you yeah, like. Yeah, I do. Um, yep. And then donor dependency is: are they digging? Are they raising enough money um, to uh, not dig into their uh, reserves uh, every year? And if that's over a hundred, that means that they're actually they're 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 actually spending more than they're raising. Um, and that that means usually they have a pretty big endowment. You can see the mm-hmm. Salvation Army is at 124, and that's they have a lot of money. Um, Robin Hood Foundation is at 111. I actually don't. I mean, people may think differently that if they're over 100, they really need your money. But I'm also thinking if they're over 100, they're maybe not being managed all that well. And that's always yeah. um, 
an issue with nonprofits is that they're not they don't have any discipline from the marketplace. That's it's fascinating, and I think for people to understand that they really do need just for what it's worth, listeners. If you went to Forbes dot com, in addition to buying the article, uh, buying the the issue off of uh, newsstands. But go to Forbes.com and do a search of just yeah, largest just go to Forbes.com slash charities, and it's actually, I mean, not to um, say anything bad about the magazine, of which I'm the executive editor, but yeah. um, uh, it's th- this is a list that actually works better online, because yeah. you can really... It's uh, interactive. Really, yeah. yeah, you can sort it, and, and this is the time of year when people do start thinking about doing this, so it's, it's the holidays, it's the tax mm-hmm. reasons, but um, you really, there's a lot of data here, and... Um, and you can see, maybe you always give money to the Toys for Tots Foundation, but take a look. I mean, actually, the Toys for Tots Foundation is actually outstanding in all of the uh, categories I just talked about, yeah, fundraising, yeah. charitable commitment, donor dependency. Um, but, you know, take a look. You might, be, you might be surprised by who is being run uh, really well and who's not. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't have anything underst- to do with the, yeah. the, the, the nobility of their mission. It's just, you know, yes, it, right. it, it, some are just being not run that well. Right. You're, just, you're not looking. You look at the finances and the, the structure rather than necessarily right. the purpose of the charity itself. And, That's right. Um, but to, to better understand the numbers, for instance, you know, this idea of donor dependency, um, I think it, it, we don't want to totally unpack that now. People can go to the article and, and look that yeah. up. But uh, to what extent are some of the top charities, uh, in top in terms of the amount of money that they're raising, the revenue that they have, are they embracing new technologies? For instance, during Sandy, you know, immediately following Sandy, there were a number of apps I've got on my iPhone that said yeah. contribute to the American Red Cross or others uh, to, to help out with the victims of Sandy. By just clicking here, and you can, and it would even yep. give you a menu of the amount of dollars I wanted to click on, and instantly they were pulling money from either a credit card or my bank account to send it out yep. to the American Red Cross. Which ones are embracing technology more aggressively? Well, I think I think you hit the the, the big one right there. And you know, when this really uh, started was um, in Haiti uh, when the, sure. the Haiti earthquake happened. I don't remember how many years ago that was now, um, but the Red Cross they had uh, you could just literally. I remember watching uh, playoff football games at the time mm-hmm. and. Uh, they'd have um, you, could you could just text uh, yeah. a certain number, and ten dollars went right right there. Um, and I, I think the Red Cross has really been out front um, in, in terms of noticeable on that. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you know, this varies tremendously by 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 particular charities. Um, I don't have any good examples of of people that are doing it badly, but I mean, I guess if you don't see it, they're probably doing it badly. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's very easy now to. Uh, Give money, and you see this through these, uh, like you know, these Kickstarter campaigns for mm-hmm. for arts projects and so forth. Uh, the internet's made it very easy to make very small contributions, almost frictionless. Um, and, yeah. the, and the charities that are capitalizing on it are the ones that are going to succeed in the long run. It's a very efficient way of raising yeah. money. And, now, and, again, the, the no. question of whether or not they, where does that money being spent? Now, there was some question about the that that Haiti money where it, where it ended up going. Um, you know, and I don't have the details on that, but I'd be curious, particularly with this. The Sandy thing, because it's such a widespread thing. We're all, mm-hmm. at least here on the East Coast, all know somebody who's been deeply affected by it. Absolutely. I'm sure they're raising a ton of money, but who's, who's actually uh, making sure that money's being spent on people who actually need it? And that's what you're trying to help do is look at Correct. the efficiency and, and uh, the charitable commitment. And yep. uh, I'm sure it is a moving target and difficult to get all the data you need, especially in some of the smaller charities. But uh, yep. when you're working through that, it's very helpful to have the list. Um, there's another method of gaining money that, that people have been become pretty used to, and that's going through the uh, checkout lines 
at brick and mortar stores, whether it's groceries or big box retailers, and having somebody look at you and say, uh, "Would you like to have you know the the uh, you know the the." The uh, uh, clover leaf put on the window. Uh, right, having... right. No, they're, 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 that, that's a. Uh, you know, I, I, I always wonder about that one. They, they get you. You're, you're coming. You know, out of the grocery store, and <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you realize you just spent like you know ten dollars in ice cream, and you yeah. feel like, oh God, I, should, I really should give three dollars to the to the you know feed the children organization. Yeah. It's sort of a bit of a, a, a gotcha kind of thing, and they get you. They get you at those those times fast food restaurants. So you're spending money yeah. on these sort of indulgences, um, but I think it's. Very effective. It is effective. And i got to tell you, I was in the grocery store one time uh, and, and not too long ago, and it wasn't in my hometown. It was so people aren't trying to figure out which one I'm talking about. I was actually visiting uh, a relative, and uh, I'm in the grocery store line, and I heard the, on the speaker somebody goes out there and says, hey, Mr. So-and-so just donated $15, <laughs> and they, they actually announced to the store. And I looked at my wife, and I said, a competitive juice kicked in. I felt like saying, okay, okay, yeah. I, got, I got him. $16 from me. And uh, <laughs> I think that, that, that sort of thing, particularly, effective in a small New England town, um, maybe less so in Manhattan, but I, I think that's, that's I, I haven't heard that before. That's, 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 uh, you know, any, any, anything that they can do, I mean, yeah. the, I think the, the bottom line is that these charities, uh, we can talk as much as we want about uh, fundraising efficiency and commitment, and I urge people to go check those numbers out and hold the, the charities accountable, but all these charities yes. are doing really remarkable work, and they're doing work that otherwise would fall into the government and we would have higher taxes or nobody would do it and then people would just suffer. Mm -hmm. And so any way that they can figure out to get people to part with a little Mm -hmm. extra money, Mm -hmm. I think, is is a big thing. And I think that the more broad-based support that we have for charities, the less it is coming from big donors the more democratic it is. Yeah, well, the first half of the program today here on Black Friday was talking about ways you can save money in how you're spending on gifts for this holiday season. For a lot of people that are listening to the program now live, if not recorded, you know, repeated, again, they've already gone through Black Friday and probably maybe, maybe even gone above and beyond what their budget was if they had one. But for a lot of people that are finding ways to save money this holiday season, these charities could use the difference. And, uh, you know, there are all sorts of ways to think that through and, and plan ahead for your charitable gift. But Mike, coming back to one of the original things I want to bring up with you is, you know, and to some extent I'm asking you to speculate, what do you think is going to happen with future legislation to try to, to cut back on the deficit spending at the federal level that would impact charities, whether it's the charities themselves or whether it's uh, uh, you know the personal tax code, I, I just I just can't. I mean, I, this is speculation. Obviously, I, yeah. I mean, if I could predict what was going on in Washington D.C., I, I, <laughs> I, I would have a really nice crystal ball. Um, but you know the yeah, the, but Mike, the, more so than a lot of the rest of us, you're immersed in this stuff, and so you got I a am, little better I am, I'm, No, no, I, I absolutely am, and I am, I'm, but I just want to again um, say I, this is certainly speculation. Um, uh, I just don't see the political will to mm. cut. Uh, deductions for charitable giving, ultimately. I think that could be a very deeply unpopular position. I don't think the amounts involved are significant enough to make a dent in the deficit. And I I, I think it just, it's it's one of those things that if you were a politician, really, that's what you're going to go after. I mean, this is almost almost like, you know, you know, this is the the Romney Big Bird moment. I mean, sure, we all know we need to cut money, but you, you don't pick a relatively small, extremely popular yeah. aspect of the tax code. There are much larger things that they could go after, and they're going to have to. I mean, there's going to have to be a certain amount of um, of realism that's going to have to happen um, in D.C. There's a lot of posturing right now. There's a lot of talk mm-hmm. of cliffs and so forth. Um, those numbers are real, and and they they can't. Um, 
this is this is not this is not a significant enough amount of money, and it would be deeply unpopular. You know, my yeah. senator, you know, wants me to stop giving to charity. I mean, think of the the ads. Yeah, yeah, no, that's well put. And I just bring it up because this is the time of the year when people start to think about catch up. If they're not giving all yeah. throughout the year, they're thinking about okay. That's right, and that's why we publish the list at this time of the year. Sure. I mean, that, that's certainly um, that's certainly a, a big deal. Um, but I mean, I think that if if we were going to have any urge on our our, our government to get its fiscal mm-hmm. house mm-hmm. in order, which I think we all have an obligation to do, because it is deeply, deeply, deeply broken. Yeah, you don't start with charitable giving, for God's sake. The uh, yeah, and the bill for all this is going to be coming in for another generation or two. Uh, from uh, you know, I mean, that's that's what we of, of, of a certain age like to think that we're passing this off to our kids, or hate to think, um, but. Uh, the 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 reality is, I think it might be coming due sooner, sooner rather than later. Listeners, uh, we've been chatting with Michael Knorr. He's an executive editor with Forbes magazine. And if you go to Forbes dot com and punch in charities, you're going to see the, uh, the the latest list. And as you're thinking about your year end giving, and you should be thinking about giving at the end of the year here, there's an awful lot of needs. Uh, this is a great way to sift through and figure out what's what are the charities that are being most efficient with my money to make sure it goes right to the people who need it most. Um, Mike, thanks so much for joining us again. Great having you back in the program, and congratulations on another great work there at Forbes. Thanks, Bill. Let's just stick around. We're going to come back in just a moment to wrap up the, the program before Bloomberg Radio takes over at the top of the hour. Thanks for listening. This has been Financial Spectrum. Financial Spectrum.